Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 156. I'm your host, Blaine Putney. I'm joined now by my co-host, Matt Smith. Good evening. Trey Wilson. Good evening. And our special guest, John Liu. Welcome to the show. Good to be back, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we're super we're super pleased to have you back. Uh, the last time you were here was, was a ton of fun. I'm sure this is going to be just the same. I, I wore <laughs> a bow tie just for Yes, you, I'm very impressed, Trey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And it, I it, marks. He, he will go and get whatever you order. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to referee this uh, Scheifel match that's going to end up happening. At some point. <laughs> oh, there will be one, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as long as you follow the code, Treg, everything's fine. <laughs> so, all right. Um, we'll just get right into it. Clearly, we're just, uh, as we record, it is, I forget the date, is it? Yes, Thursday. Today's Thursday the 3rd, yeah. Thursday the 3rd, and we're just waiting now for word on Shifley's fine. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to start there. We, we talked about it a little bit on our show yesterday. And yeah, so as the guest, I'm going to see what, what, you, what you expect from the league. Uh, I'm... I'm I'm thinking it's going to be one game at the most two. And I base that on um, Shifley's lack of suspension history, but also just what you see uh, on social media um, from retired players, fans that seem to have no problem with this hit saying that it was a clean hit, that it was a, uh, a hockey hit. uh, you know, ignoring the fact that it was a five-minute charging major. Um, uh, but it just seems to me that uh, if you were to go by the old-school 
definition of hits, what's legal, what's permissible, what isn't, with this being incidental charging, he just happened to travel about seven eighths of the length of the ice to, to administer the hit, as opposed to play the puck, if he was really trying to uh, prevent an empty net goal from being scored. When you factor in all those uh, considerations, I think that, you know what, I'd be, I'd be surprised if it was even two games. I'm thinking it's just one because I believe that the league maybe feels that there is a need for some form of supplemental discipline simply because of the severity of the injury to Jake Evans. Matt, um, I mean, I, you, you must have some, something to say on that one. So uh, we've, we've seen that Jake Evans has, excuse me, we've seen Jake Evans. I uh, didn't have to go to the hospital and he stayed with, uh, with team of, with, uh, with team doctors and was looked over from them and went to the hotel. Uh, do you have any other updates on, uh, on Evans and uh, other than the, the fact that he's got a concussion? No, no. And, and I mean, Dominic Ducharme, he confirmed that to, uh, to us at, uh, at his media session this afternoon. And uh, to nobody's surprise, Jake is out indefinitely. Um, but something that's that Ducharme said in French um, that really was, um, uh, I guess, troubling um, is that, uh, that Evans was very uh, emotional about this. You know, um, Ducharme described him as being in shock about what had happened uh, and being emotional about the entire experience. And so, um, you know, the fact that he didn't spend the overnight in the hospital uh, because team doctors deemed that he, he was in a position medically as such that it wouldn't have been a risk for him to skip going to the hospital. Plus the fact that COVID cases in Manitoba are pretty severe. I don't know what their ICU situations are like. Uh, being from Winnipeg, I know that there is one of the major uh, hospitals located about maybe maybe a 10 minute drive, probably fewer 10 than 10 minutes from, um, from the uh, MTS place, um, MTS center. And um, so whatever their situation might be in terms of uh, caseload might've precluded Evans from, from going to the facility. But nevertheless, this is, this is a traumatic experience for a guy that has at least two documented concussions, at least three, rather three documented concussions uh, since he was a member, since he's been a member of the Montreal Canadiens organization. And that dates back just over two and a half years ago. So for a player who just turned 25 yesterday um, to have suffered that many brain injuries in that short a span, it's really troubling. Um, Like what are the long-term implications? I mean, this is a rhetorical question, but what are the long-term implications for Jake Evans's health for his quality of life? Forget about hockey. I mean, his life, his career are just beginning, you know, and especially Uh, the jump that he's made lately. He's really been, uh, he's really been kind of a spark for the team that, uh, you know, if you're, 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 he's, he's been able to push a guy like Tatar, who's been an anchor on that line with Gallagher and Deneau for the longest time. And, and he's really provided, um, uh, a real energy to that line and, and, and up and down the lineup. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for the last three games, taking the left wing position that was Thomas Tatars um, and 
really uh, playing a role that we saw from Jake um, in the fourth line center position when he was consistently in the lineup. Um, when he when he wasn't bumped out for Eric Stahl or when he wasn't injured, um, you could see that Evans had made some pretty uh, significant strides this season uh, in terms of his speed, which was one of his one of the shortcomings in his game. So that just gives you an idea. I mean, that's an endorsement for how dedicated and how serious he is about improving his his game and doing what's necessary, putting in the extra time and effort. Uh, to be able to make himself an NHL regular and to ensure himself that he stays there. And that's why this, this injury seems to really have resonated with his teammates who really uh, admire Jake Evans as a person, as a player, you know, for his qualities um, uh, that he brings to the team, but also that are just part of who he is. And uh, so my only hope is that when he's ready to come back and hopefully he takes as much time as he needs to come back hundred percent, that he won't, that his career, that his, the way he plays the game won't be uh, hampered by the experience that he just went through. Now, uh, I know uh, Gallagher and most of the Canadians right after the game didn't color their, uh, their comments at all. They were pretty candid um, about how they felt about this being, you know, just out of bounds. Has there been any word or any rumors of Shifley just reaching out to, to Jake Evans and asking how he's doing or anything like that? I, I would imagine that Shifley will do that. Um, I mean, you know, uh, within NHL circles, he's um, one of the players who is a very devout Christian. So um, for a person who takes pride in his faith, I would think that that would be one of the first things he should be doing, that he would be considering that as a, uh, as a must do. Um, and if he is as good a guy as his teammates and coaches purport him to be, then you'd think that he would take that step. So it's almost a, an obligatory gesture on the part of the assailant these days. Um, and once Jake Evans does speak publicly, I would imagine that he'll disclose that 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 Shifley would have reached out to him. So, um, yeah, I mean, what goes on in that conversation, that's going to be between the two of them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as much as I say that, uh, that Jake Evans um, uh, clearly was shaken by what was a traumatic experience, I wonder how that personally is has or will affect uh, Mark Shifley as well. Because, you know, most players, it seems, don't delight in injuring or hurting uh, a fellow player because they all recognize how fragile and how fleeting their careers are. So you'd have to think that's um, Mark Shifley, that this would probably uh, uh, affect him, his conscience on some level. But until he actually speaks publicly, which won't be until after um, discipline is rendered, um, we won't know for certain. Because he did look kind of shocked after the uh, the hit occurred. I mean, when everything was going on, the, he was ma- he just had that face of, you know, confusion and shock. He just looked like he didn't understand what happened. It could be. I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, with him actually saying, um, yeah. you know, what we uh, when we look, our perceptions or projections of what we would feel in any given moment. So, can't say for certain that that's what he was feeling in that moment. Um, but, uh, 
but having said that, it, 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 it was really disappointing, but not surprising that something like that happened simply because you look at the trajectory of that game and uh, Shifley was really at certain points in that game unhinged, you know, whether it was interactions with his former teammate, Ben Sherratz or with Corey Perry, who I'm sure that former battles between the jets and the ducks over the years would have factored into the, 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 the hatred between the jets roster and Corey Perry. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's still no justification or excuse for Shifley to go out of his way to clock somebody in a vulnerable position when, you know, if you're sprinting down the length of the ice, I would think that your intention is to try to make a play for the puck, chop down on his stick or something to prevent the empty net goal. So, but until he talks publicly, uh, we won't know these things. And, you know, all we'll have is what he says at face value. Now, before we move on to something else, Treg, was there was there anything you wanted to add to this or ask? I just want to say, uh, I mean, we've been uh, going on about Shifley. I know a lot of fans are taking it to heart. Shifley's not a dirty player. He's not known to be a dirty player. I think he just made the wrong decision at the wrong time. Uh, I agree with you, John. He seemed a little on edge the entire game. Like he was kind of, I'm not saying he was looking for trouble, but he was, you know, playing a uh, agitator, I guess, type type game or whatever. And uh, it's unfortunate. Um, I mean, I do think that it was a dirty hit, but uh, I don't think the intent is there that people think is there. Um, I don't think Shifley intended to hurt Evans. I don't think he intended to do anything, but uh, uh, hopefully Evans is uh, good. Things go well uh, from a guy who suffered multiple concussions that ended my lacrosse career. I know how it is. It takes time, and uh, I hope he takes all the time he needs and uh, gets back to 100% before doing anything. That's really all I have to add. One more thing I, I just thought I'd bring up on this is uh, just your thoughts on um, on Ducharme's comments on Nick Ehlers and the and the role that he played during the um, during this whole scrum. Like everyone else, kind of grabbed a partner and kind of held each other back. Some were just trying to protect Mark Shifley, but we saw Nick Ehlers really skate in quick. And he said, you know what, this isn't, this isn't about what's going on here. We got to protect this guy. And um, we saw that, you know, the, there's a, you know, it's a famous picture now that it's all over social media of him with his arms back, holding back the scrum. And he was one of the first guys to go to the bench and call uh, call medical officials in and everything. Just want to know your thoughts on that. I, I mean, that's all about respect. That's all about doing the right thing and uh, props to Nikolai Ehlers uh, that in the melee, in the chaos, that that was his first thought was to look after uh, uh, an injured opponent. I mean, he would have done the same obviously for a teammate, but for him to do it for an opponent really speaks to the, uh, the character, you know, uh, the, the core of Nikolai Ehlers. And so that was, um, that's about the only uh, positive that I think you could take from that incident is his reaction and the linesman too. Yeah. I'm not sure which line, which, which linesman it was, but, but he was right in there with Nikolai Ehlers uh, protecting Evans because we've seen in the past, like these horrible situations where a player is unconscious prone on the ice and the scrum around him. It's like, he's getting kicked or bumped and you know, like a, like a rag doll. And it's like, well, you know, if those are your teammates that are doing it, it's like, well, don't you think you should, be looking after your your teammate first that's right um, and i have to say you know what you can't spell carry without care 
<laughs> and think about as think about um, Jake Evans being wheeled off the ice on the stretcher. Well, who's down there on the opposite end of the ice? Carey Price, yeah. just like he was for John Tavares. That's right. You know, yeah. like in the middle of the ice. You know, in the neutral zone. Uh, I mean, that just and, and that speaks to the type of person that Carey Price is as well. Like just a genuinely good-hearted person. And so, I mean, you know, kudos to him and especially to Nikolai Ehlers because, you know, for him to do that, to protect an opponent, that was, uh, that was above and beyond. But that's, that's, that's the type of respect that needs to exist in the game. And when, when Jesper Kotkaniemi, you know, call, you know, it's called Shifley's a- actions disgusting and demonstrating a lack of respect for another player, he's he hit the, ha- the nail right on the head. Yep. I get back to it's like was it was it absolutely necessary to drill a vulnerable opponent? I mean that's a rhetorical question because everybody's going to answer that differently. But to me, it's like well the fact that he chose to do it in a split second decision that shows a lack of respect, and that's a big problem in the game right now. Agreed. I agree. Now there's no easy way to segue out of that to uh, the actual hockey, but let's just do a hard change. Um, we're going to, we're just going to switch to hockey, the actual series itself. So the Canadians pull off that big win. Um, I think coming out with a, the minimum of a split is huge. And it seemed like it was a, a battle between rust versus a team on a roll. How much of a factor do you feel like the rust really was? Cause they seem fairly rested, but they were, you could tell they were, they were chasing hits. Winnipeg was. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe Winnipeg got caught a little off guard. Maybe they believed that the Canadians coming off a dramatic and emotional long series against the Leafs. And if they watched, I'm sure that most of their fall, if not all of the Jets watched game seven in its entirety, because they wanted to know what they were going to be up against. But if you go back to game seven and watch how the Canadians executed their game plan, so flawlessly really that there were no passengers in the lineup that night that they they were ready and they were motivated and that's essentially they carried that from game seven into game one and i thought would there be a drop-off like not so much an emotion but just the reality of having played that series in thir- seven games in 13 days or 12 days i forget how many exactly it was but uh, just the mental and physical fatigue that would have accompanied that, uh, I thought that they would have had to play a very a, to to a certain degree within within reason. Um, I believe that they might have had to play a passive game one against the Jets just to try to weather the storm and not um, and, and not expend energy that might not be there that could have exposed them at various points in the game if fatigue was starting to set in. So the fact that the Canadians were able to assert themselves the way that they did and go out, get out to a, a two goal lead just over five minutes into the game, that was, to me, that was unexpected. But I think that really speaks to, uh, again, the, the strength of will, the character, the, uh, the, the cohesion that we're seeing from this team that is starting to, um, I believe, find its game and, and, and build confidence with each subsequent success because they haven't won four straight games in, I think two seasons now. Um, and um, the fact that they're doing it this time of year against this opposition, that speaks very highly of what this team is trending towards. 
Now, personally, I loved watching. Uh, I loved watching the old guys because I'm the old guy on the show between the three of us. I love watching those old guys just just schooling the Jets. Watching Stall put up the go into the corners, go to the net, and Perry's uh, Perry's assist on Stall's goal. I mean, the Greybeards were leading the way last uh, in that game last night. So. Well, and you know what? If 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 Mark Shifley hadn't done what he did with less than a minute left in the game, I think the conversation today would have been about what Logan Stanley did on yep. to Corey Perry on yep. on Eric Stahl's goal. Like, I mean, he led with an elbow right to the face, and Perry still made the play. So, I mean, Blaine, if you want to add that to the roses that you're going to throw to the Greybeards, that like that yeah. in and of itself, that is Corey Perry, an absolute playoff warrior. But I mean the two that we're talking about, they've won everything that there is to win in, in hockey, you know, at pretty much every level. So to me, it's, it's not surprising um, with Eric Stahl, just because he got crapped on by the fans so much um, in the regular season until we, you know, until Dominic Ducharme and then Stahl himself talked about the fact that he had been nursing an injury for basically the entire time that he was with Montreal. Um, Guys like that, they know what it takes to crank it up in the playoffs. They've been there so many times and they've won. They've, they've seen every imaginable situation. So they know how to, how to, how to bring it at, at, the, at the right time of year. Um, I mean, here's an example um, to me that really underscored how veterans really know it, that, they, that they can turn on a switch. It was my first season covering the Canadians here in Montreal. So the 2007-2008 season, and they had gone into a series opening round against Boston. And one of the guys that stood out the most for me was fourth-line center Brian Smolinski. That's like, where was he during the regular season? But there you go. That's a, that's a veteran. It's a guy that's that had, a, had had a long career, that had experienced and knew the difference between the participation medal time of the year and when things really matter. And you're, that's exactly what you're seeing from Eric Stahl and Corey Perry. So it's uh, for Canadians fans, that should be an absolute pleasure to watch. They should really appreciate this because you're watching two um, guys that are going to be first ballot hall of famers doing what they do best. Ones that, 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 that they're displaying what will make them, first ballot hall of famers and it'll be really interesting to see just how how far their example leads the canadians in addition to pretty much everybody on the roster there it's, it, that's that's along for the ride and contributing but uh, but certainly those two along with carrie price and shea weber you know the fact that he's gutting out um playing close to half an hour every game for the last four games with a left hand that is still not a hundred percent, you know, that he was ready to commit mayhem last night after the hit, <laughs> even though he's not hundred percent. Right. That's a gentle word for what I think he was going to do. <laughs> I've yeah. never seen, uh, I've never seen Weber so angry as he looked no. uh, after that. Yeah. I, I think the only time they came close was um, when he was with the predators and he uh, mashed Henrik Zetterberg's head into the glass and cracked his helmet. I mean, the violence that it would take to do something like that is, it's, uh, it's pretty, 
frightening and breathtaking. The only, other, the only other thing that came to my mind is when he fought the, in the Ranger series. JT Miller. Yeah. 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 JT Miller, uh, if there was one haymaker that Weber missed on, and if he had connected, JT Miller probably would have been out for a while. The series. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. that, would, that, would have, that was a concussion maker for sure. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, we you don't see that from Weber very often, no. and that's why guys don't want to go with him because of that 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 uh, that potential for violence. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that you don't want to be yeah. at the opposite end of that. Yeah. I've only ever seen uh, when I was in the army. I had a company sergeant major that get, that got that angry once at me, and let me just say that I can run faster scared than he could mad, and that was a good thing. <laughs> and uh, that's why we're having this conversation. That's today. right. Yeah. I lived. Yeah. <laughs> I lived. And, and but. The, all the experience that these guys bring, to, you know, Weber and Perry and Stahl, I think that experience is probably what's going to help them kind of gel together and keep on on point for the next game without getting out of hand, trying to exact revenge. Yeah. Just to cut in here, sorry, Drew, Drew uh, John. Uh, Darren Drager saying a four-game suspension for Shifley. Uh, yeah, I just got the notification, there, so that surprised all of us. But you know what? That's – Maybe that's the league taking precautionary measures too, that they're yeah. they're that they're precluding. Well, they're including the possibility of a sweep, but going one game further just for safety's sake. Yeah, yeah. They the Edmondson had take his words the way you want to in his little interview, but uh, I mean Dominic Ducharme kind of glossed it over and said we're going to play within the rules, but he said we're going to. I kind of took it as he'll have a target on his back when they, uh, when, when he comes back. And no play. question. Yeah. yeah. And at the very least, Mark Shifley would have had to fight because that's the code. <laughs> um, but um, I looked it up and Shifley has only one fight in his NHL career. And that was in January of 20, 2020. So not quite a year and a half ago. So, I mean, he would have been, he, he probably would have been out of his element under those circumstances. And this is probably a good thing for the Montreal Canadiens, not just for the fact that the Jets will be missing their number one center and almost their perennial leading score, but the fact that this will not be a distraction for them. Yeah. Right. And for Mark Shifley, it's probably good for him too, that he will not have his target on his, will not have a target on his back until the one of two times the Canadians and Jets meet next season. Touch wood, we will be out of this pandemic and that it will be a regular normal season and it will be only two times against Western Conference opponents. But yeah, this I am surprised by that. That's double what yeah. I thought the uh, the maximum was going to be. So once we're off this uh, this this cast, I'm going to watch the, the DOPS video and see what their reasoning was for this. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, but to, to go back to the hockey, I think we've pretty much beat this dead horse yeah um, I, I just seen that so i just wanted yeah. to cut in and... yeah um so the, it going to the young guys now switching over to them watching them perform at the level they are you could see that they're starting to take over the team uh, in a certain manner uh so goal with the uh, tipping that slap pass suzuki with that slick slick move the toe drag on Hellebuck. That was just gorgeous. Um, I, I don't think yeah, they're just starting to scrape the surface. So uh, 
I, I don't have much of a question. I'm just, I'm just in awe of what they've been doing, really. Cole Caulfield got to come alive. He got to start uh, shooting more yeah. instead of looking for a pass. That was very <laughs> apparent in game yeah. one. Absolutely, yeah. I, I totally agree with you, Treg. Is that's that he, his bre- he needs to he needs to be a little selfish. Hmm. Every rookie will do that, and by that I mean that he'll defer to yeah. his, his the veterans, to the more experienced teammates, uh, because he doesn't want to come across as being selfish or one-dimensional. But uh, in Caulfield's case, he's got the best shot on the team, best release. I mean, he's got to use that. If he's yeah. if he has any sort of look that is go time for him, he knows he knows where that opportunity is, and uh, and he has to take it because he has that microsecond less time at this level than he did at the, in the NCAA. So he can't hesitate. He has to learn to react instantly, like incorporate pace with his release, his natural release, which is like lightning quick. And uh, so I'd imagine that his line mates and his coaches are talking to him about that and maybe we'll see it right away. But yeah, he passed up an awful lot of opportunities in game one, where at the very least, if he didn't find the back of the net, at the very least, he might have created a rebound for one of his line mates. So yeah, he's at about 18 games now in the NHL. If you put together the regular season and playoffs, I, I, I think it's going to start to come together really soon. But as soon as he gets that first goal, I think the floodgates are just going to open for him. Fair. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you saw how comfortable he was once he scored his first regular season goal yeah. that that just helped him escalate. And this is just another level, you know, and it elevated to the nth degree in this case. And so, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Treg, what you're saying that he needs to shoot more Blaine when you say that he wants Caulfield scores, once he gets that, that off, once he gets that experience under his belt and that the pressure that he's probably putting on himself off his back, then that'll help him relax and just settle into what he's able to do best and let his game flow naturally. And part of that is just, he's the type of guy that I think that no shot is a bad shot. No, I mean, Brendan Gallagher is a real high volume shooter and we see him take some shots with really sharp angles, almost at the bottom of, of face-off circles. But in those cases, the Gallagher, I think he's trying to create a rebound. You know, he's just trying to put one on net, see what happens. And if it comes out into the slot or at the opposite side of the net with one of his teammates crashing the crease, then there you go. There's your scoring opportunity. So that really Caulfield needs to uh, engender the same mindset and not not being so humble. (laughs) So speaking of the youth, um, Eric Gustafson, he struggled pretty bad last night with the with the one play, the little gaff at the blue line that that led to a shorthanded goal. Um, he's only played four games. He's only averaging just over eight minutes a game. Uh, we've seen um, the, uh, the the core four on the Habs blue line really take the brunt of the minutes. Is this the time? You know, we're talking about youth. Is this the time that we may see Romanov inserted in the lineup in game two? Um, Dominic Ducharme actually hinted at that. He wouldn't confirm it. Just said that Romanov is an option for, for game two. The question that I have is that what do they expect out of him? Like when they put him in, if, if they put him in, what do they expect out of him? 
because with all these young players, the key uh, giving them these opportunities in real high pressure situations is to ensure that they're being placed in a position where they can succeed. Correct. You don't want to expose them. You don't want to ask them to do something that they're not prepared to. And for Romanov, I mean, he's not a raw rookie. He's played in a couple of world junior championships. He had a, a full shortened season under his belt. And so this is, this is just a different pace of hockey that he would be used to. But having said that, the way that he skates, the way that he moves the puck, the way that he uh, has his head up all the time looking to make plays, I think that his adjustment would be fairly swift. It's just for him, I believe in his own zone, his decision-making needs to be, be, be more consistent. It has to be sharper. And I think that's all along been why the coaching staff hasn't been willing to put him in is because he is a little bit too prone to the um, oops. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. And fans may not like that, uh, but it's the truth. If you watch his games, he does that did have a tendency to do that in the regular season. And so what's worse to sit him in the event that you're, you're afraid that he might cost the team in that regard or to put him in and play him. And he commits an error like that. That results in a critical goal against, and then you sit him like what's going to hurt his confidence more. That's right. Right. You know, the playoffs are not development time unless you're a special player. Playoffs are not development time. Playoffs are execution time. And too many fans don't get that, you know, that it's, you know, it's again, like I said, it's not participation medal time. It's like one little mistake is magnified to the nth degree. And the player's reaction, depending on how mentally strong he is, his reaction and the consequences, the impact on him, that could be magnified to the nth degree as well. So you, it's a very tricky thing to be able to uh, ensure that you don't um, that you don't mess with the psychology of a young player. But having said that, I believe that when and if Romanov gets in, I think he'll be able to adapt pretty quickly simply because the pace of his game and his skill set are very impressive and pro level, playoff level too. He just has to learn how to apply it properly, judiciously. Yeah. And then obviously we've got John Merrill who's nursing an injury that will likely be back in the lineup as well. Uh, well, weeks, I mean, Dominic Ducharme didn't even mention him. Okay. You know, he didn't talk about uh, Merrill. Uh, the okay. question was posed to him about, about Romanov. Um, and in the case of Gustafsson, uh, Augustusson, uh, what I found a little bit uh, alarming was how slow he is. Yeah. You know, when he was in pursuit after the, yeah. after the, the, the giveaway, trying to pursue the Jets, uh, the Jets player on the shorthanded chance um, in back into his own end. Um, I'm so tired. I'm drawing a blank. Who scored the shorthanded goal? It was uh, Lowry. Yeah. It was Adam yeah. Lowry. Yeah. 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 And I mean, not to, not, not to, to diss Adam Lowry because I have a real high, I, high, he, he's very highly regarded in my opinion, but he's no Nikolai Ehlers. No. No, he doesn't so, have the McDavid speed or anything. Yeah, right? so, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that you know maybe maybe the maybe the Canadians coaching staff uh, get to the point where it's like okay, well, we got what we needed from Eric Gustafson in three games, four games, four games. Yeah, yeah, four games, and uh, 
yeah, so maybe it's uh, maybe it's time for them. Maybe they feel the time is right for uh, for Romanov to uh, to make his uh, his playoff debut because and no and again no offense to the Jets but they don't have the same um, exact same level of of game breaking high end talent that the Leafs have. You know, they still have some players that can really hurt you badly if you if you're not careful with your game and puck management, but the consequences or potential consequences may not be as severe by putting Romanov now into the lineup against uh, the current opponent. Yeah, I think fans don't see the uh, – they see Gustafson in there and they go, oh, well, he's going to make mistakes because he always makes mistakes in his defensive zone. I don't think they see the psyche of a young player or they don't take into consideration that maybe they're keeping Romanov out not because they don't trust him but because they know he makes mistakes and they don't want him to – suffer from these mistakes yeah. in any way so it's more yeah. protecting the player than it is throwing them to the fire yeah and if you listen to the way Dominic Ducharme addresses that topic like he did about I think it was Friday last week he had a couple of fairly lengthy answers about his rationale in uh, in sitting Romanov through the playoffs that far and it was he was the way he framed it was that that the coaching staff are working with Romanov you know that this is that this is not punishment is that they are helping him uh, coaching him up but he did not say what you said Trey because no coach is going to say that publicly no 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 and, and, but if I mean if, if, if I mean we can say that we can speculate on that but there is a reality in terms of player development yeah. based on a, 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 a the experience level or lack thereof with any given player and every player is different, obviously. And with defense, it's a completely different animal, right? You know, what Mark Bergevin said years and years ago, I mean, it's very true is that defensemen are among the slowest developing players, the ones that they're the, they become a finished product later than most other positions. And so, Hey, you know what these guys, these guys have been doing it a hell of a lot longer and um, at a higher level than any fan, whether that fan has played elite hockey or not, you know, or coached at, 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 a, at an elite level. These guys know what they're talking about and what they're doing. And uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, fans can criticize all they want, but they're speaking from a position of, of ignorance, really, because they haven't done this. And so, um, you know, it's, again, it's, it's not like... Yeah. It's important that they get kind of a, a view of like what is really going on there. Because if you're, if you're ignoring that development aspect of a player, you're ignoring a massive portion of the decision-making that the coach is putting into place. Well, hundred percent. Yeah. But again, it's like, if, if coaches are going to share that, their hands are tied. They're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Yeah. Because again, it's like, you don't want to lay bare the shortcomings of any given player. You don't want to insult them. You don't want to embarrass them. You don't want to talk about what what parts of their game are are, are deficient because they don't want it. Players don't want to hear that. They're proud. You know, mm-hmm. they have egos. They got to that level because they're among the best in the world. And you certainly wouldn't want your opposition to be hearing those things because then it's like, oh, that's what they think of so and so, a number of so and so, right? Yeah. Now there's there's a very um, delicate balance that 
coaches and GMs for that matter, that they have to play when it comes to uh, speaking publicly about players in specific terms. And um, so, yeah, it's just that in this market, those, those interactions tend to be analyzed or overanalyzed and blown up into, you know, tempests in in, in teapots. And uh, so I, I have the sense that's that Romanov could very well be making his debut tomorrow or in game three, perhaps maybe it's game three because we saw Cole Caulfield. He got his break once the series shifted back to home ice where with last change, Ducharme was able to uh, control the matchups, you know, and I asked him that about Caulfield. He says, that's not really the whole reason, but it is part of it. So maybe Romanov gets in in game three. We'll find out. We'll find out tomorrow. Maybe. It's also important to note that uh, with Winnipeg now, uh, Shifley's out for a few games. Uh, Stastny is day-to-day, so he may may or may not even play. DeMello, we have no idea if he's going to be back. And I, I know that people don't seem to think DeMello is that, as big of an impact player as the other two I mentioned, but with the defense that they have, he is a, he's a, a stabilizing force on that top pair. If he's well, out, sure. I think that's a bigger a bigger loss than Stastny would be. Yeah, different, because you know what? Paul Stastny's very important yeah. to the Winnipeg Jets. There's a second-line center or left wing, uh, depending on how they want to deploy, deploy him with uh, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, and, but you're right about DeMello, though. I mean, uh, Paul Maurice had that very famous – or, or uh, um, very interesting clip about DeMello last season when the Jets first acquired him. And he said that what DeMello does is like coaches porn, that what he does is very, very simple. It's not flashy. Fans won't notice it, but they'll notice it if he's screwing up. But the types of things that DeMello does very consistently and very steadily to coaches, that's porn. And so to remove that type of steady minute eating defenseman from the lineup. It'll be the same thing as what the the Leafs lost. Well, maybe not exactly the same thing, but similar to what the Leafs lost with, uh, with Jake Muzzin out for the, uh, for the decisive game of that series. And so how long DeMello might be out, that's going to be a factor for sure, because the Jets defense for a couple of seasons now, ever since they lost Dustin Bufflin has not been a position of strength. They're starting to get it together, but to lose DeMello would be a serious blow to them at this point. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bufflin and Truba, that blue line has gone through a big, big shift. Myers, Sherratt, all in one off season. All in one season, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, you know. Where do you see the uh, cut, Yemi? Where do you have – this seems like he, he struggles in the regular season at times. And then in the playoffs, he's just a whole nother cut. Is it cut Yemi 2.0? It's like he, the Terminator comes out and, uh, <laughs> and here he is. Why do you think he can't keep that consistency up through like a regular season? Or it's just, he just one of those guys that uh, when they, when it really matters, it, it, it this is like, a, like we talked about with Stalin Perry, when it really matters, he he's there to get it done. Well, I'm going to pull out one of the Bergeran, the Bergevin isms about guys that get you there and guys that get you through. Yeah. And it's still a somewhat small sample size, but I think what we're already seeing is Kotkaniemi is going to become one of those guys that get you through. 
Yeah. Right. That he elevates his game at this time of the year. And Kotkaniemi, regular season Kotkaniemi, I think, um, uh, I think the, the greatest problem with this season is that he didn't have consistent line mates. Right. You know, he played his best hockey out of the gate with Tyler Toffoli on his left wing. And Tyler Toffoli is one of those guys that makes everybody better. So he yeah. was a really, really good player to put with Kotkaniemi to out of the gates after a long off season. And we saw it. They weren't, it took them a little while for them to start producing, but once they found a groove together, then you saw the points coming. And of course, the ebb and flow of a season dictates they have to move things around. And because Toffoli is so versatile and you can play him anywhere, left, right, top nine in any line and power play. Um, once the injury bug started biting or other lines were starting to struggle, well, you're going to move a guy like that around to be able to spark some of the other lines. And then once Kotkaniemi lost him after not having him for too long, I think that probably was to his detriment. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I, but I think the, the, the biggest issue with Kotkaniemi is that he's so incredibly hard on himself. That's something that we in the media noticed in him from the time that he was a rookie, like in the preseason, you know, it's like a question might be, it's like, you know, what did you think of your game? You had a goal, you had whatever this, that, whatever. And it's like, said so that, yeah, but we lost, you know, or you think that, yeah, I could be better, you know, <laughs> this is a 18 year old kid, yeah. you know, barely 18 in, in his first, in his first NHL season. And, uh, and then last season, well-documented, like pretty much the entire season, like from training camp into the preseason, and it just kept going, he was injured. So I think it's unfair to uh, judge Kotkaniemi's development based, you know, to, yeah, you almost have to throw out his sophomore season. Yeah. You know, we're doing a core injury, a concussion, then sending him to the A to try to help him get his confidence back, and then he gets a spleen injury. Like that's a nightmare season for the guy. Yeah, yeah. It was like a black hole. So that just made what he did in the bubble last year that much more impressive. That he was able to go through all that adversity in his sophomore season, go home while the pandemic was raging and before the players came back to Montreal for training camp, and then showing what he did in training camp, and then basically forcing Mark Bergevin's hand to do what he did in the offseason because – he and Nick Suzuki looked like they were ahead of the curve in the bubble. So, yeah, but really, Kotkaniemi needs he needs consistent line mates and guys that are good fit for him. Yeah. So, speaking of Kotkaniemi, I got a little bit of a personal question for you, John. Um, going back to the last series, give us your uh, give us your thoughts on twenty five hundred fans at the Bell Center. Oh, guys, that's. That was an all-timer for me. Um, it was such a surreal experience. Um, I, I tried to count it up how many games I've covered at the Bell Center, regular season and postseason. Um, in four, this is my 14th season. So it was you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 700, thereabouts. Um, and the game last Saturday night, that's going to be right at the top of my memories. Um, 
when my career is over because it was it was like it was symbolic like the beginning of the end of the pandemic for us you know as you fans for us media for the players the coaches workers at the bell center everybody that's had to go through this these last 15 months together um it was a celebration and the fans treated it that way there was all this pent-up energy that's they released um I tweeted something to the effect that it was like they were hyper alert, that everything was exaggerated. Like all the sounds that you're used to hearing from a Bell Center crowd, and a lot of it's subtle. You know, the types of things that hockey markets, that, that are indicative in hockey markets, but in Montreal, perhaps even more so, because fans are really plugged in and really very knowledgeable. So they're going to cheer things and boo things and react to things in a more... Um, uh, in, in more acute fashion than a lot of other buildings around the league. But then that was escalated even more so last Saturday. And it was such a treat. And I really appreciated that, that the Bell Center uh, game day operations staff, that they didn't pump the crowd noise. Yeah. You know, there was some there. They left a little bit of ambient sound, white noise, but not as loud as we've been hearing in regular season games up until last Saturday. They let the crowd literally speak for themselves and they did resoundingly. So, and uh, you know, from the time of, from the, from the pregame warmup where they were booing the Leafs lustily and then instantly changes to cheers when the Canadians hit the ice and the national anthem was wow. I, I I had chills listening to all them singer national anthem. Like, Oh yeah. Just. Well, you know what Blaine, we've heard that in other buildings. Yeah. Plenty of times, you know, when it's a one anthem game, um, and in the playoffs, um, but there was something behind that. There was such a an undercurrent of of earnestness and uh, authenticity of appreciation of being back in that building, in that environment, and being able to to celebrate together, really. And uh, they didn't stop all through the game. And then it was a really nice moment at the end of the game when when uh, when Kotkaniemi was on the headset doing his walk off interview, and then uh, Michel Lacroix said on the PA, asked the fans to stay in their seats while Jesper was doing his interview because Michelle knew that Kotkaniemi was going to go out on the ice because all season long, you know, I was there for every game and not once did a player go out on the ice for a three-star selection. And so for Kotkaniemi to do that after that game and the crowd really saluted him, he applauded them back. um, That was a moment too, really. It was, it was a special game, special experience and one that I'll never forget. Because if you looked at the crowd too, after when just before he went out on the ice, they panned around and showed everybody stayed. Leaf fan, Habs fan, everybody stayed, just just so they can soak in absolutely every moment of that experience. Yeah, and, and those those fans had no idea if they would be back until this fall. Yeah, God willing, depending on what happens with the pandemic. But the door is open now, especially with vaccines in much wider. Uh, distribution as than than before um but hey you know what the the habs fans there it's like they thought this could be our one this might be a one-off yeah so they're taking they took advantage of it and good for them you know it was and i think the oh wait a minute yes the the curfew had ended the night before yeah so 
I, I was so tired. I didn't stick around to walk around <laughs> to see what was going on uh, north of the Bell Center. I parked on the south side and I went home. Yeah. Um, but I'd imagine that with the curfew off, there would have been plenty of fans milling around on the streets. Patios were open, if I'm not mistaken, that yeah. night. Yeah. And uh, so the hurting drinking establishments would have hopefully had a very successful night, a much needed uh, uh, reprieve. Um, and they'll get it again. You know, Sunday night and Monday night, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people phoning in sick Tuesday morning, you know, about 2,500 people worth, yep. because I think there'll be a whole lot more Canadians fans in the building over the next, or over those two games than there will be Leafs fans, because Jets fans don't travel as extensively as Leaf fans, right? So, um, yeah, I think you'll see a more pro, a more partisan Canadians crowd for the two home games, for at least the two home games of this series. Hopefully the only two home games, because then it'll be brooms out. <laughs> um, or game five is the decisive game in Winnipeg. Yeah, I don't know. But again, you know what? Going back to the suspension, you want to see a series where the best players are all playing. You want to see a, a series at its competitive best. So for at least the next four games, we're not going to see that. We might not see it from the Jets at all. Because again, the aforementioned Stasny and, and DeMello, um, that's going to hurt their chances. And maybe it shortens the series as well. Um, but um, yeah, looking forward to the rest of it. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting if it goes to a game five, six. Yeah, yeah, yeah six. six. Yeah. Game six. Which is what I predicted. I predicted halves and six. So I, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't, and I'm not going to make a prediction. Was it your guys' show that you asked me predictions at the beginning of the year uh, about leading score, leading goal no. score, and price? I forget which podcast it was then. But oh, for the for the team, I think we did blame for the team. Did we? I think we did earlier. Yeah. Oh my god! I, I can't we asked remember John that back. Who was going to lead the team in goals and how, you know, that's the kind of thing. I think we did. I think yeah. we did. Okay. Yeah, I could see well, I was back. wrong. I was wrong in every case. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all could, were. Who would have predicted that Tyler Toffoli would have had the year he did? Yeah. Oh, right? I mean, he was on what, a 46 goal pace or something like that? Yeah. Or? Oh, yeah. Uh, 48, actually. 48. Yeah. 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 Or, or sorry, wait a minute. No. I calculated near the end of the season and uh, he would have been the first 40 goal scorer since Vinny Damphus. No. Yes, yes, yeah. but I, I think he was above 40. I think he would have yeah. finished with Yeah, I, I don't um, remember what the... Yeah, but, uh, okay, well, you guys asked me, and I predicted Anderson would be the leading goal scorer, that Suzuki would be the leading scorer, and that Carey Price would return to Vezina form. So, wrong on all counts. I mean, well, Anderson, he came close. Suzuki yeah. came close. And Price, well, I was wrong. Con Smythe candidate, not a best. <laughs> <Yeah. candidate. laughs> so you were right. You just had the wrong trophy. <laughs> well, here's here's where I was right. Um, the morning of game one, um, I was doing a couple of TV hits for uh, two stations in southern Ontario, and I figured they would, and then they went and did it. They they ambushed me with my prediction for the series, and inside I'm going like. <laughs> and um and so just to just to be the contrarian and to mess with them i said halves and seven well there you go 
I after love game that prediction. four. Sorry. Love it. I love that prediction. That was mine. <laughs> well, my, 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 that was my prediction, but the caveat was that they would have had to play a, literally a perfect series. Mm. Their margin for error would have been extremely small, but I believe they could do it. Having said that after game four, I thought it would be series over in game five. And uh, I was on another uh, Ontario station and they asked me pred prediction for game five. Um, and and I didn't expect to be asked that. So I was like, oh, man. I said, well, you know what? We haven't seen overtime yet in this series. I believe the Canadians will play their best game of the series, but Toronto will win in overtime. So I got two out of three right. Right. <laughs> there you go. Two out of, as Meat Love would say, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, exactly. Yes. The, the <laughs> classic. Classic Manitoba social slow dance. <laughs> The what do we the call them in? Hey, what do you, what do we call them in in Nova Scotia? Since I'm going to be a resident someday, like the the you know in Manitoba we call them socials. You know, like the the for um, for a wedding, like I guess reception. We just call them reception. Reception. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean not a not a formal reception. I'm talking like a, a, a kitchen a party. party. Yeah, a dance where you where you go and you know cheap booze and then the meal at you know, soak up the booze meal at 11 o'clock in every Manitoba social is the same thing. Rye bread, salami, cheese cubes, and pickles. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. uh, I'm trying to think about it. I know in Cape Breton, they just call it a, a, a dance hall, like a hall. Dance, like, yeah. Okay. Dance at, you know, at okay. the region or at the hall. Yeah. And they would have them out on Saturday nights and, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you'd have the yeah. old folks and then the young kids trying to get their get booze without getting caught <laughs> uh, but i'm not quite sure what they call that ar around here i'm not I'm you guys to... need to tell me this that's important I mean, I, we call I, it I, a kitchen party up uh, up here yeah, in the woods we get the kitchen parties and then you get the old pit parties where you go back to the old yep. old pits and when you're a teenager and mm -hmm. then we had the palace see i grew up with the palace so we just went there and our shoes stuck to the floor and stuff that's where so i met my wife sure. okay now is that in halifax i mean i'm, I'm showing that's my in halifax here. yeah, yeah okay. it's not there is it in that cluster downtown like where yes. it crawls yeah yes yeah. yeah yeah when you when you move here john we'll, we'll show you all those <laughs> places. <when> you... <laughs> i might not survive that that, that trip no. We'll, we'll do a pub, a proper pub crawl with t-shirts yeah. the whole nine yards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, once the pandemic is, is, is over, we're going to be looking for excuses to, to have like real, real good rip them up parties for certain. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah, yeah. I got a great excuse. It's a Tuesday. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm retired at that time, well, then I have every, then I don't have to find an excuse. Right. <laughs> I'm this close, this close. Mm. As soon as my Good wife feeling. says I'm allowed to quit. <laughs> I'm actually well, quit. just retire. <laughs> I'm actually well, moving to Montreal next summer. So seriously? Yeah, yeah. I'm getting posted to Saint Jean, the, the recruit school in Saint Jean. Oh, Saint Jean Chalet you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we're practically gonna be neighbors then, Trey. Oh well, there you yeah. go. You'll have to show me around Montreal. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Post games. It's like, we'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to have a pint post games yeah. regularly. Yeah. Next yeah. July I'm going up there. Oh, okay. And guess who your yeah. boss is probably going to be. Hopefully not you. It's going to probably be me. <laughs> How's that happen though? You guys are, we not even be in the same province though. No, no, no he'll, be... he's, he's moving there as well. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. You guys are both going to move to Montreal area. Well, I know for sure. He just doesn't know for sure yet. Oh, they're, okay. They're debating on whether or not. Right now, they're looking for uh, 
someone to be the surgeon major for one of the companies. And oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I you know you guys need to co-op with one of the local pubs there and do your uh, your podcast live. McLean's has already kind of said they we let it, we could do it live there. So oh well, there you go. I will come down and do uh, do do uh, casts with you and, uh, and, you and perfect. Yeah, post game or whatever, and uh, I'll stay at the Sheraton. Down the street. There's no way I'll be able to drive home. No. <laughs> Especially not after the karaoke. <laughs> I don't think they have karaoke at the at McLean's. Well, we'll find another it. spot then. I got some uh, right oh. here. Got some right here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna plug it into their system, right? Oh yeah. So, uh, Matt, did you have uh, you had something else, didn't you? Honestly, I've got nothing else for John. I, I just no. want to say thanks a lot for being on the show. You're a professional as always. We love to have you. And um, yeah, thank you again. We would love to have guys. you anytime. Anytime. Yeah, anytime. But you're not moving to Montreal too? Uh, so, th- <laughs> so this time next year, I might be overseas, but we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an hour outside of Kingston right now. That's where I reside. So, uh, you know, it'll be a little bit of a road trip for me, but I'll definitely make the, uh, I'll definitely make the trip possible if these guys are going to be in town. East or west of Kingston, though, Matt? I'm towards Toronto. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it happen. I'll make it happen. We'll 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 definitely get together when the you know the world starts to get back to normal. That's a plan. I can't wait. This beard just happened because of the pandemic. I Let's had a beard. This. I had a beard try to trim it and, and it went too low, so now I'm <laughs> now I'm scruffy. So yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, John. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I know it's super busy during the playoffs for you. And, you know, especially when you're bouncing between one channel to to the next. So I really appreciate the time you've spent with us. Well, my pleasure, guys. Always, uh, always fun with uh, the conversations. Always fun with you guys. Yeah, we, we try, we try every now and then people get dressed up just for fun. Maybe there's pants. Yes, and I appreciate that uh, that little uh, homage trade. Yes, I love your bow ties, so that's why that's why I wore it. And if, if anyone asks you, John, I am not wearing pants. So well, of course not. Who is? It's a pandemic. Why bother? It's a pandemic. I have a new suit actually. Since we're talking about that, my uh, I'm going to give a plug to my tailor, Pellegrino Castronovo. Um, I I asked him, and we collaborated. I wanted to have a post pandemic. I wanted him to do a post-pandemic suit for me. So it's... Wasn't there a picture out with you with the shorts on and the... Yeah, I have my short suits and we're coming up to that time of year. Like it's yeah, turning yeah. hot in Montreal as of tomorrow. So yeah, some of the games said, well, if they go farther, further than this round, I'm definitely going to be uh, bringing out the short suits. Uh, but this one is not, it's a, um, it's, it's almost like a sweatsuit. Um, it's a jacket, it's a three piece, but you know, it's a jacket. And then the pants are, have cuffs on them, like sweatpants, super comfortable. <laughs> and I'm having a vet and it's come and we're having, I'm having a vest made like a three piece, but it has a hood on it. So it's like a hoodie vest. <laughs> so it's a real, awesome. well, it's a very casual looking suit, but it, the fabric is super, super comfortable and it looks pandemic ish because of the, the sweatpants, because yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I could probably count on one hand how many actual Zoom hits I've done wearing dress pants. <laughs> Usually it's sweats or shorts, yeah. maybe jeans if I'm feeling dressy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but no, so I'm 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 unveiling the the post pandemic suit either in game three or four. Perfect. Sweet. Look Can't forward to seeing it. it. Yeah. Heard it People heard first. it here first. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. This is the hype. This is the yeah. hype. Just yeah. like the way yeah. we the way we hyped up the Mario Tremblay Patrick Waugh interview. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, the the commercial they put together, uh, the English one ruins it. Yeah, <laughs> it isn't as good as the French one. No, no it's not. No, they cut out the whole. Uh, I still got two cups left in me uh, from the. Uh, yeah, yeah, my goalie. Yeah. yeah, he's not tired. He's still got two more championships left. <laughs> I know the French versions are much better, and they're the other two: the dartboard and the chess game in French. Yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, you can find too. all of them on YouTube, and I mean, Blaine, you're uh, you're you're uh, bilingual, so it's no problem for you. But I mean, for for fans that uh, that don't speak French, it's you're going to lose a little bit, unfortunately. But having said that, the commercials are all in both languages done so well that uh, it's um, yeah. It so was, they 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 buried the hatchet a long time ago, though, didn't they? No, when, no? When, when I interviewed them, I asked them that. And I mean, the, the advertising campaign was definitely the vehicle that opened the door for them to get together. But Patrick, um, when, I, when I was asking Patrick about it, he said that he had actually been thinking about doing this last year, that they both, okay. they both snowbird in the same Florida community, golf at the same course, but they would always like just avoid each other whenever they right. would be anywhere close and they were in the same place. And Patrick said that he was thinking about reconciling. And, uh, and I think that's, it's not surprising to me because of a lot of how so many of us have just assessed or reassessed the meaning of life, mm. prioritizing our lives over the last 15 months. Like what's really important, what's most important, you know, um, the experiences we, we went through, the people we've lost, um, and Patrick and Mario both. It's nice to see that's like they said that they want to be an example that anybody can reconcile. You know that you can bury the hatchet if you have the will. If you really want to, if you want to repair a relationship, there's always a way to do it, and they're a good example and. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was a really um, it was an honor to be asked to do the interview, um, and it'll be one of the most memorable of my career. And also, there are people on social media that noticed, and I don't believe in curses, but the Canadians are undefeated since the first commercial was released. True, you know, it does make sense. We're also undefeated since I started wearing my cotton giving retro reverse jersey. So <laughs> I'm not saying that's what it is, but that was your uh, that was your game five attire, Trey. Well, I for game five I wore three jerseys. Oh, okay. I, I wore the cut. I wore the uh, Weber red jersey. Then I wore the Price uh, outdoor classic jersey, the silver with the silver on it. And then for the third period, I wore the cotton yemi, and that's when all the goals started happening. Then he scored the game winner, and so I, I've worn that ever since. So, ah, okay, <laughs> whatever works. I think it's more my ten-year-old son. He's got a he's got a shirt that he wears that uh, George Laroque gave him, and okay. uh, he leaves it in his room in a specific spot. So when my wife took it to get laundered, 
they started losing games. So he went and found it and put it back in that one spot, crumpled up the way he likes it. And then they haven't lost. <laughs> An excuse to be slovenly. But it's just the one t-shirt sitting in the corner. It's, oh, okay. There's nothing else. The, the room is spotless okay. other than that. It's weird. <laughs> I told these I told these guys that during game seven of the Leaf series, I woke up in the morning, get ready for work, just about to have a shower, grab my body wash, and then I realized it was blue and white. And I said, Yeah, I can't do that. And I switched <laughs> to something else. I was that superstitious that day. Well, guys, to be honest, I am not at all superstitious. I don't believe in jinxes and I don't believe in curses. Yeah. Because if, if I honestly had that kind of power, yeah. I wouldn't be doing this job. No. I'd be a professional gambler. I'm, I'm the same way, John. I just, yeah. I just, I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm being honest. Game seven, I never wore a jersey. So, but that's, I'm claiming <laughs> it's pants. a cotton empty jersey. I don't, I don't wear, I didn't wear pants either. So. <laughs> You should see him at work. It's oh my god! It's it's a nightmare. It's like chasing a toddler. Put these on. Put these on. <laughs> a very big toddler, probably bench press five hundred pounds, right? Oh, not that much, but <laughs> it just it, it just looks like five hundred pounds next to him. He's he's like a gnome. Yeah, well, I'm I'm only I'm only I'm only uh, Caulfield height, so I'm only a little guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, five, so I'm, you're though as wide as tall. Yeah. Type of build. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, only like five eight. So What's he's that? our garden gnome. Yeah. I'm, that's kind of true. Yeah. So if we were standing beside each other, if you turn sideways in front of me, I'd disappear. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the big broad shoulders and chest and. Yeah. Yeah. Bulk there. Yeah. I, yeah. I got to get rid out. of the COVID gut, but I got to get my COVID gut back down. Okay. But yeah. Oh, well, I didn't insinuate that. I didn't mean. No, no, no. I, I'm insinuating that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I used to have the V. Now I have the. I don't know you. what it is. Now I have the U. The gourd. Yeah. You have the Yanny gourd. Yeah, that's it. So I got to, I got to get rid of, I got to get that back down to where it was. So, all right. Um, I want, again, thank you very much for coming on the show. I want, I really appreciate the time you spent with us. Um, you're welcome to come back anytime. You just let us know whenever you're available. We'll make ourselves available. That's, that's how much fun these are. Well, and, and when you're, if you're able to do them live, for sure. Absolutely. We'll do that. Right, Sounds good. Nice pub. hundred percent. So uh, there you go, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. And remember, if you were talking about it, so are we. problem getting big city slams are you not getting the gains at the gym well don't mortgage your future on rental supplements get burger arms burger arms get you the gains you need burger arms gets rid of all the bad attitude and builds better character so you can get the gains you need get burger arms burger arms burger arms today not a real product may make you trade your favorite 
player for a mountain man. Do not use if you're healthy, if you want loyalty, buy a dog. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. 